And as we come to the end of the program, let's have a chat about the more unusual stories to do with motoring and transport. Joining me on the line is Errol Smith. Errol, g'day, how are you? G'day, David. And Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. Now, Brian, you're going to lead the way. You're, you being a bus man. Uh, certainly, David. Uh, what do you want from a bus stop? Do you want a place to sit, a bit of shelter, some information? Well, in Singapore, they are offering you quite a bit more at the moment. They're uh, trialling in um, a, a Jurong, a part of Singapore where uh, the government is testing a bunch of smart activities and smart transport applications. They have put in a special bus stop as a trial um, and they're trying to sort of work out what features of the bus stop you may like to, to have. And some of this, the bus stop has plenty of seating. It's also got a rack of books that you that are suitable for all ages for it. Um, uh, you can read. Uh, it's got bike parking. It's got a swing. So part of the seat is actually a swing you can sit on. It's got sort of local artwork and even a rooftop garden. And in addition to that, it's actually connected into, uh, into the internet um, you can scan a QR code and download ebooks from the National Library. You can charge your phone uh, and you could look at interactive digital boards that do more than just telling you the time that buses arrive, but also provide weather information and news and things like that. And solar panels on the top help, help to offset electricity use. So as part of Singapore's smart nation, they're testing this thing, trying to find out what they might put into bus stops. Generally, the most popular thing, the ability to charge your phone. <laughs> so th this is the secret to encouraging public transport is, is basically free phone charging stations. Yeah, that's it. Convenience and ripping off the man. Well, that's what they're trying in Sydney up into the north. Well, they're proposing into the uh, the um, Manly Warringah Peninsula that they have buses that have more comfortable individual seats. Some have a PowerPoint, uh, certainly have Wi-Fi. Brian, you're very keen for bus locations be they stops be they interchanges and you don't like that word do you you don't like the word interchange that's a bit of a label mm. it's sometimes obscure david uh, what the real function of the the stop is they're often better referred to as a transit hub particularly if they're places where other activities uh, take place and, and and brought there by the activity that's generated by the transport uh, you mentioned King's Cross in station in the UK. Well, in the UK, yes, King's Cross and Pancras station, uh, almost a third of the visitors on any one day uh, are not there to travel. The point about that, it becomes an activity. When we think of a bus stop purely in the functional sense and, and, a, and an interchange or, or, or call it a hub, if you like, when we only think about it in the functional sense, then we tend to generate concrete canyons and caves almost of buses coming in. And the, the main determining feature is the radius of curvature for turning a bus. And they become really incredibly dingy, dark, concrete slab wall places which have no character at all. Mm. And I think not enough is done, David, to, to, I guess, test and find out what it is that people would like to have uh, at a bus stop. I mean, it, it, you don't often spend very much time there. You obviously need functional things like protection from the sun, particularly in Singapore, uh, and the wind and the rain. But, um, you know, what are the things that people value? Do they want to have a swing or do they want to have local information? Do they uh, want to download music? So... 
there's not enough done asking or trying to understand what people may value as part of their journey. Of course, they found Mm. in lifts that people got impatient, but their way that they overcome that, I believe, was putting mirrors up. (laughs) So they could look at themselves, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or maybe just straight, just straight distracted by their own by their own appearance. Yes, it's it, it's interesting what what they've done here in in Singapore is that in it's sort of it's they've kind of taken a shotgun approach where to try and determine what people are interested in. They've kind of thrown every day, idea they can think of into a single bus stop, <laughs> and they're just kind yes. of seeing what sticks. Well, your other point, Brian, is, uh, for example, in a main shopping street, is that the bus stop is often squeezed into the footpath space. You would much prefer to have a little lounge area, one of the shop fronts, where people could meet, and and there they could have a screen that shows when the bus is coming and so on, that it becomes better. I wondered whether it might not be what they're trying to do in Singapore is a little of the principle of the old uh, milk bar. You know, that you sort of hang around, have a bit of a chat, get there a bit early, uh, meet a few people. Is is Mm. that a possibility? Yes, yes, I think more of a social hub, Mm. uh, more of a a place to come to get information or to to do other things. I I like the idea of a transport facility that's integrated with um, other purposes. So, for example, if you think of uh, most major train stations now, we'll have a supermarket. Near in them or nearby. And so you can, as part of your journey and a, as a reason for transferring between modes or pausing at this interchange uh, or hub, you might have the opportunity to do something useful and valuable, buy food for the evening, pick up your children, a bunch of those sorts of things. And I think that's what's missing. We're still thinking very much about just the travel component of it, but they can be much more. They can contribute to their community and they contribute to people who are travelling in, in many different ways. Our mate Chris Stapleton, transport planner, has—he's uh, been the one that really likes the corner store near the bus stop, so that when you get out, you can buy the milk, the bread, or whatever you want, just to supplement you know, on your way home. And now that we all have mobile phones, you can be told what you have to pick up as well. Of course, um, in some places there are shopping walls at the bus stop, and that's like images of of uh, product, products. Yes, you can scan it with your phone and purchase it from you know from the bus stop for pickup at your destination. All right, gentlemen, uh, talking about getting around, IKEA is now selling bikes. The name of the bike is the Slada. Uh, it is shipped to you. You assemble it with an Allen key, as we all expect. So, should we just? Uh, Briefly get the Kia jokes out of our system here as much as we've got. Are they building it just to ride around their huge shops? I... Yeah, how many Allen keys does it need to assemble, um, etc.? Yeah, yeah. It's quite a clever idea, David. I think it's uh, it's taken the, the IKEA ingenuity and um, and applied it to you know quite a, a nice idea. It's not a fantastic bike, but it's a very useful bike. It's, it's got uh, a belt drive instead of a chain so many of those messy things about the bike are resolved and you can buy lots of cool accessories like a trailer or a, or a front basket or bags helmets locks all, all those sort of um ikea things i'm only disappointed that uh that they called it slatter and not bike with a y bike yeah something yes, like that. Cool bike. I, I always thought i always thought a slatter was a biscuit but um... <laughs> that's a typical Aussie slurring of the salada. Salada, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, of course, most bikes sit at home not being used, so these will not even be assembled, so they'll take up less space. I think that has a certain <laughs> advantage. It's still in their box, you mean. Mm. And, and you can push it under the bed. I do like the no greasy ch- chain. I like that a lot. Is this really Big Boy's Meccano? Is this, does it give you a sense of ownership to the bike a bit more if you've actually built it? Yes, that's a great a great idea, David. That that uh, I, I believe somebody said that the bicycle is the last machine that we ever understood. Uh, that most other machinery is beyond our sort of understanding as, oh, as, I see, yes. as uh, normal people. And I think yes, you could connect much more with it if you've put it on and the pedals are upside down and you know the seats in the wrong place. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yes, if you put it together correctly, then a great sense of um, of achievement. And of mm. course. They've give you a ten year guarantee on the, the belt drive and a twenty five year guarantee on the frame. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. It aims for little maintenance, which I think is very, very important. It's not not especially light. Fifteen kilograms, about five hundred and twenty Australian dollars is the sort of thing they're charging for it. But some say it might do for cycling what the model T Ford did for cars. If it had an electric motor on it, David, then yes, I would say that. But I think plenty of people have mass-produced bicycles, um, perhaps not with the sort of selling power of IKEA, but when they bring mm. out the e-bike, come and talk to me. Yeah, and you can you can buy this any co- in any colour you like as long as it's white. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, lovely to talk to you. Thank you once again for your time. No worries, David. Thank you, David. Uh, it's Brian Smith and Errol Smith, and we were talking unusual stories in the world of motoring and transport and perhaps how that might affect other professions as well.